Bottom line up front, a terrible second wave of COVID-19 overwhelms hospitals around the world. The White House announces it does not plan to slow COVID, but it did have bizarre plans to work with mall Santas instead. The Chinese Communist Party plans for economic isolation from the world, and an unusual wave of bankruptcies could spell the end of toxic Wall Street finance. I'm Eric Garland. After 20 years delivering intelligence to world leaders, a mobster owned by Russia took the White House, and I started giving daily intelligence briefs directly to the people. This is Game Theory Today, your source for global events, clear analysis, and appropriate profanity. Guys, it's time for some Game Theory. Now is a time to pay close attention. Focus the best you can because much is changing. A new century is beginning in earnest. The Great War's final battle is upon us. Man, that's kind of heavy, right? I'll try to lighten it up a bit, but not much. It is kind of that big a deal. I don't use the term historical very lightly, but we are in the middle of a rapid strategic shift. It seems like the shape of the world is shifting before our very eyes. And perhaps only the era of World War I or post-World War II may have seen more change in this short amount of time. If you don't know the last hundred years of history, I actually re I recommend it as a companion to the news today. A lot will not make sense without that hundred years of history. World War I saw the end of the medieval and Renaissance worlds, the, the evaporation of most of the monarchies. It produced the era of industrial scale warfare, of mass killing never dreamed of in our nightmares, and it launched the modern world. World War II was in many ways a refinement of the great leaps taken 20 years before. Nationalism was buttressed by sophisticated propaganda. Airplanes gave way to rocketry. Espionage and counterintelligence, especially signals intelligence, were paramount. And finally, basic science in the field of physics produced an application so terrible it wouldn't end all war, it would end the whole world. The Cold War resulted from the Soviets' rapid theft of the most powerful American secrets. Then, conflict camouflaged itself endless ways. Kinetic wars were waged by proxy states and covert forces. Psychological warfare was waged through politics, culture, and even finance. In the early 1990s, Americans were generally fooled to believe that the Cold War had ended. In reality, Subversion merely wore a cloak of capitalistic reform and carried on just as before. It may be decades before we think of the main combatants as America versus Russia, democracy versus tyranny, good versus evil, or some other dyad. One thing is becoming clear. Dr. Francis Fukuyama's famous tome, The End of History and the Last Man, may be rehabilitated for the 21st century and beyond. Even I have poked fun at Fukuyama's assertion in 1989 that democracy had defeated communism and would win the future. But some forecasts are tenacious, their genius taking time reve to reveal itself, perhaps even to their authors. Back in 89, democracy had not yet fought its last knockdown, drag-out battle with darkness. But I submit that when we look back, we will see that by that point it was clear that no other form of government is dignified enough for humanity. Only self-determination and rule of law are good enough for us. All other pretenders are likely to collapse under the burden of their corrupt designs. We are in the moment now when those corrupt designs collapse. We are in the moment now when those who profited off the suffering of others are revealed in their monstrosity. We are in the moment right now when the reality of evil is revealed, showing equal amounts of stupidity, dark comedy, and cruelty. We are in the moment when the fundamentally good people of the world are willing to vanquish those who would enslave the future. We are in the moment when we take a thorough accounting. And we will, I believe, one day call the entire period of 1914 through 2020 the Great War. One war, different tactics and techniques, technologies, one war to win the future. 
That's pretty heavy, but hey, it's kind of a heavy moment. And with that, we got a lot to cover in this show. It's going to be a big show because there's a lot changing. Everything I just said before, that that that's all real. I know it sounds like I'm casting a spell or, you know, it's from Lord of the Rings or something, but dude, it is really going on. So with that, it is time for your PDB, the Profanity Daily Brief. Top story is a second wave of COVID overwhelms world healthcare. COVID-19 is a novel coronavirus, but it is a coronavirus nevertheless. That means it tends to spread in winter because it benefits from humans living inside and also breathing drier air, common once it gets cold and the heating systems are fired up. So if you've been listening to Dr. Dina Grayson, who's a world expert in Ebola and other infectious diseases and pandemics, you know that the awful winter of 2020 was always going to be nothing compared with the horror of winter 2021 if we didn't take drastic action. Of course, in the United States, we've had the Trump administration and their co-conspirators in government, so you know what was done and what was not. If you listen to Dr. Grayson, you know that governments refusing to mandate masks, city, state, regional, nationwide, they were consigning their citizens to their deaths. You know that the intentional use of super spreader events would leave COVID hotspots in their wake. And you know that the tragic assault on world healthcare resources has only just begun. There are already a quarter million dead Americans, and it's horridly just the start. Let's look at the whole world, because we are all, sadly, in this together. 43 million people are confirmed infected with COVID, and that from a lot of governments that are almost certainly either not able or willing to give accurate statistics. So we can almost certainly assume it's higher. With more than 1.1 million dead so far, and we're just getting to the worst of it. Each country bears its own burden. In Belgium, a quarter of the hospital staff in the city of Liège is sick with COVID-19, and they're being asked to continue working if they're not showing symptoms, despite the risk, so that the hospital system there does not collapse. Belgium's health minister, Frank van der Broek, warned that the small country was close to a tsunami of infections where leaders can no longer control what is happening. In Liège alone, one out of three people tested is positive for COVID-19. France has counted an additional 150,000 cases of COVID in just four days. They estimate about 50% of their ICU beds are now taken up, and that number is, of course, growing. President Macron called a national defense council for this morning to deal with the disease. Spain has around 1.1 million cases and 35,000 dead so far. The government is tightening its curfews, as is Italy and Czech Republic, just for a few examples. In the United States, Texas is already being slammed by the virus. El Paso's hospitals are now overrun, with non-COVID patients being sent to other cities for care. El Paso's convention center is being converted into a mobile hospital to expand capacity. The pattern is also that even if a city is not a COVID hot zone, its surrounding rural areas could be, and those patients are jamming up urban hospitals. They have to be shipped out to some place that has the proper facilities, because this is that serious. One example of this is Missouri, where I live, where hospitals in Kansas City and St. Louis are not only rapidly being taxed by the surge of COVID patients, it turns out that the statistics about hospitalizations from the Missouri government have been t- wrong. And the vendor used to calculate those figures is tied to Trump through Peter Thiel. And this brings us to a very dark story, indeed.
Some of the greatest crimes in America's history have been committed around the government response to COVID-19. Some of the worst are just now being revealed. The backdrop of this, you have to recognize that the White House is now openly saying it's not going to control the virus and maybe never had that intention. Mark Meadows is out on TV a day or two ago saying, hey, look, sorry, Jake Tapper, we just, you know, nothing we can do. Uh, I mean, maybe a vaccine, uh, maybe do something, a mask. I mean, they're, they're dropping the facade. They never intended on doing anything except bad things, perhaps. And other than, other than bad things, we can't really see what else they might be up to. And it gets weird. For example, let's start with the fraternal order of real beard Santas. I, I didn't make that up. I'm not kidding. And this freaking next story sounds like Tom Clancy and Stephen King wrote a screenplay and it was directed by the Cohn brothers or something. We know from Bob Woodward that the president of the United States lied to the world about COVID-19. We know that Trump knew it was deadly, airborne, and contagious. He told the American people, though, that it was a hoax and no threat at all. Not surprisingly, the disease spread and people are now dying in droves. And as you listen to this, it's just going to get worse, of course. Then the bad stuff. There are the stories of Trump actually pilfering $250 million from the Centers for Disease Control, earmarked especially to fight COVID by Congress, to give to his crony Alex Azar at Health and Human Services. They routed critical data through HHS co-conspirators instead of the scientists at CDC. Then you get around to the weird story of Michael Caputo, a literal Kremlin employee twice over. He worked for Yeltsin and then for Putin and friend to the convicted Roger Stone. And somehow that guy got hired to do communications for HHS during this pandemic. The story has since emerged that instead of pushing for mask mandates and social distancing, Caputo was putting those stolen millions toward promoting optimism about COVID by hiring Eastern European filmmakers, as well as actors such as Dennis Quaid, who is backing off pretty quick right about now. Soon after this story was re revealed, uh, Caputo released several very nervous, incoherent videos suddenly announced he had fingernail cancer or something and uh, took a 60-day sabbatical from government. Uh, not quite sure where he is. Well, now the story gets dark. Uh, it turns out one of the major initiatives was to promote a not-even-yet-approved vaccine for election-slash-Christmas time. And the Wall Street Journal had this very dark scoop. A federal health agency halted a public service coronavirus advertising campaign funded by $250 million in taxpayer money <clears throat> stolen from the CDC for these assholes after it offered a special vaccine deal to an unusual set of workers, Santa Claus performers. As part of the plan, a top Trump administration official, and by the way, can we stop fucking referring to Kremlin employees like they are serious? You know, they're just government officials. They worked for fucking Putin. Please mention it, media. Michael Caputo worked for Putin. How many goddamn times do I have to tell you? Jesus Christ. Sorry. Um, a top Trump Kremlin Putin administration official wanted the Santa performers to promote the benefits of a COVID-19 vaccination, which doesn't fucking exist. Sorry. And in exchange, offered them early vaccine access ahead of the general public. Because who wouldn't want the fucking Santas at the mall to be protected ahead of, like, our uh, generals in the military or your school teachers, whatever, um, according to audio recordings? Those who perform as Mrs. Claus and elves would also have been included. So a Kremlin employee who was interviewed by Adam Schiff at the House Intelligence Committee in 2017 over his role in conspiring with Russia to attack American democracy. A guy who said Roger Stone was his best friend. He talked to every single day. Uh, he was working to create propaganda with an association of mall Santas to convince Americans to rely on a vaccine that did not even yet exist. Hey, uh, just give, we can take a time out, uh, you know, for longtime listeners of mine, uh, 
you guys know that once upon a time, I got yelled at for saying Russia existed and did Russia things that Russia always does. Can you freaking imagine if I led with the true stories right now that were our actual future when I said this in 16 and 17? So, sorry. Let, let's get more from the Wall Street Journal story. In a 12-minute phone call in late August, Mr. Caputo said, Mr. Irwin of the Santa Group, that vaccines would likely be approved by mid-November and distributed to frontline workers before Thanksgiving. So that, that kind of looks like the whole plan was to bullshit everybody that, hey, vote for Trump. He'll have a vaccine to the thing that's killing your grandmother. But they fucked up the timing. Okay. Um, we're going to get this by Thanksgiving. If you and your colleagues are not essential workers, I don't know what is, the Kremlin employee said on the call, which was recorded by Mr. Irwin and provided to the Wall Street Journal. I can't wait to tell the president, Mr. Caputo said in another point about the plan. He's going to love this. Mr. Irwin said on the call, well, since you would be doing Santa a serious favor, Santa would definitely reciprocate. What is this, the, the Santa mob? Jesus Christ. Mr. Caputo said, I'm in, Santa, if you're in. For Christ. Mr. Caputo contacted Mr. Irwin after he had testified at an HHS advisory meeting in late August, urging early vac vaccinations for performers portraying Santa, Mrs. Claus, and elves. Mr. Caputo told Mr. Irwin on the call that the administration planned to hold regional events with features including beautiful education films to drum up awareness ahead of a coronavirus vaccination drive for a vaccine that they didn't fucking exist yet. Okay. Mr. Caputo said he wanted Santas to appear at rollout events in as many as 35 cities. In exchange, he said the Santas would get an early crack at inoculation from the vaccine that didn't exist yet. Nearly 100 Santas had volunteered for the HHS assignment, adding that agency officials had said they would finally they would finalize the plan to use the Santas in mid-September. Oh yeah, and, and uh, Dennis Quaid bailed out because apparently it was too weird for him, according to the article. God damn, man. It's, you know? It's about as articulate as I can be about that. So bottom line, it looks like Trump has been repeatedly stealing from our actual public health resources to give to propagandists to push untested at best and harmful at worst new pharmaceutical interventions while deliberately holding super spreader rallies around the country. Curiously timed just before the election when people would have to congregate due to Trump and or the GOB's deliberate sabotage of voting by mail. This has been their whole plan. Uh, let COVID run wild. Flood us with a bunch of bullshit about how not to protect ourselves. Flood the market, apparently, with vaccinations they didn't even know existed yet. Kind of promise it before election and make sure that when the second wave hit, that everybody be uh, good and sick and hospitals would be collapsing. Wow, it's almost like an enemy attack on the United States from the inside by traitors. Almost. Wait, but that's not all. Some of Trump's co-conspirators are turning out to be sabotaging public health policy in other ways. These are very busy little beavers. The state of Missouri has been a COVID hotspot for months. Its governor, Mike Parson, the replacement for the Mike Pence co-conspirator and accused felon, Eric Greitens, uh, who resigned as governor in June 2018. Uh, Parson has been one of Trump's most loyal sycophants, especially around this issue. And not only has Parson resisted a mask mandate <laughs> that even as of today, even Vladimir Putin is behind. I like mask mandates, so all of you GPOs, uh, you look stupid. Okay. In addition to the mask mandate even Vladimir Putin likes, the state has responded rather tepidly when places like Lake of the Ozarks became super spreader sites this summer, uh, proudly ignorantly so. Everybody getting together without masks and partying, and then all of a sudden, you know, the hospitals break out, though the news wasn't as bad as it seemed it, it should be. I live here, so I was keeping an eye on it. Uh, and I think we might understand now why those numbers didn't track, and it's pretty freaking ugly. 
So there's a story from the Associated Press which explains the federal role in Missouri hospitals being unable to accurately report just how many people were getting sick enough for hospitalization from COVID. Which, by the way, that's a life-threatening phase of that disease. Like, once you go in the hospital, your chances of coming out are not so good. Um, there's a whole lot of things. You go into internal medicine ward, they'll fix you up. You go into general surgery, they'll fix you up. You're going to walk out. If you get sick enough with COVID that you need to go to the hospital, the numbers get ugly really quick. Uh, here's the AP article on that, though. The Missouri Department of Health and Senior Services Coronavirus Dashboard has posted a message that the total number of patients hospitalized for COVID-19 has been underreported since October 17th. The note blamed, quote, challenges entering data to the portal used by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services for collecting daily hospitalizations around the country. But the COVID tracking project said in a blog post that it has, quote, identified five other states with anomalies in their hospitalization figures that could be tied to the HHS guys who hired a freaking Kremlin employee uh, reporting problem. The project noted that the number of reported intensive care unit patients in Kansas had decreased from 80 to 1 without explanation. It said Wisconsin's hospitalization figures stayed unexpectedly flat while other indicators worsened. And it's a Georgia, Alabama, and Florida reported only partial updates to hospitalization data. From 80 to 1. Hey, well, what happened to the other 79 people in the ICU? We don't know. Shrug. Okay. Uh, so Missouri's ability to track hospitalizations started going dark in around uh, July 2020, three months after Caputo uh, from the Kremlin was hired at HHS. Uh, this is likely because of a shifting from the CDC reporting to a vendor who won the contract in a no-compete bid uh, called teletracking. And now while uh, teletracking was founded in 1991, its, its new technology vendor for the HHS Protect project is none other than Palantir, the data analytics company of Trump conspirator Peter Thiel. Uh, even dumber, teletracking CEO... Michael Zamagius is a real estate hustler who did million-dollar deals with the now-dissolved and disgraced Trump Organization. So that's who's doing your public health tracking here. One of the guys behind Facebook who backed Trump to the hilt, who's in all these data plays with law enforcement and tracking immigrants and God knows what else, Peter Thiel, Oh, who was also uh, uh, Josh Hawley's number one donor when he ran for attorney general in, in Missouri, which is the jumping off point for him becoming senator, right? Uh, that, Peter Thiel, that guy's behind this. That is who has been systematically undercounting hospitalization data for COVID in Missouri, where Governor Parson hired Moscow Mike Flynn's partner, General Stanley McChrystal, to run the state's covid response policy um i live in st louis so this gets overwhelming at times look let's back up in short look trump has not been ignorant he's not stupid in any of this he's evil that's different he doesn't quote not believe in science the president of the united states has known all year that covid19 would if left unchecked be the end of potentially a million American souls or more. And not only has the guy done nothing, he's installed agents of hostile foreign powers in key parts of our public health infrastructure to feed leaders false data and to feed citizens weird propaganda about non-existent vaccines. Trump and his co-conspirators are still committing passive genocide. And that's looking rapidly more like active genocide against Americans. Crimes against humanity. With that, I'd like to go a little more personal. I'd like to read a rant slash thread uh, dedicated to my neighbors here in St. Louis, who I drove by standing maskless next to the bus stop on the corner with their kids. So they're opening up the schools here nice and early, just as the hospitals fill up, which makes no sense. And you got my neighbors, who should be fairly educated, and the kids are all wearing masks. 
but the parents aren't, and they're standing around in groups talking to each other with their mouths wide open. I put this up on Twitter yesterday, and I am no less sincere about it right now. To all the parents on the corner I just saw waiting without masks with their kids wearing masks on the way to schools that should not be open, nobody will care you felt this way. Nobody will care that you were under the sway of someone else's propaganda when that other kid's mother is gasping in the parking lot of the hospital at Christmas, hoping for an ICU bed to be open. Nobody will care that you thought, let them play, the signs they have up around here, the exhortation to place middle school sports ahead of your neighbor's survival was more important than public health experts. Your child will not care that you were told COVID was overblown when they watched their mother at that bus stop this morning, healthy today, die over a Zoom conference in two months. When hospitals are rationing care in a few weeks, triaging our potentially savable neighbors from the soon-to-be-dead, nobody will care that you didn't think COVID was that big a deal this morning. To all the parents, I just saw maskless among the neighborhood kids as if a virus discriminates. Nobody will care you thought this simple act was beneath you, especially not the six feet of dirt above you. Third story, China prepares to be economically isolated. Right now, Russia and China are making moves that indicate they know the world will soon reveal the extent of their assault on democracy, freedom, and decency. The world is letting them know in not-so-subtle ways. As this Game Theory Today podcast recently covered, the Quad Alliance of the United States, Australia, Japan, and India have already begun plans to take China out of the global supply chain, especially for mining and processing of critical rare earth minerals. You know, the stuff they need for batteries, solar power, solar, solar power stuff, all that. China, you're out of the pool. We, we don't trust you anymore. The expulsion of China from the development of 5G mobile telecommunications networks is another non-subtle sign of the Middle Kingdom's future. Not only are tech companies like Huawei being taken out of the bidding process for those infrastructure contracts around the world, just yesterday, the United Kingdom announced that they'll be looking to Japan's NEC as their vendor for 5G. You know, Japan that's joining this quad thing so they can participate in stuff that when we can trust them again. Interesting. Look, <laughs> let's look at China's position here. It turns out that political corruption, economic espionage, you know, where uh, the FBI says they open up a new case against someone from your country every 10 hours and flooding your global partners with enough fentanyl to kill all of Ohio. Rude. Look, it's not that popular with people. So right now, as we speak, I believe, the Chinese Communist Party is meeting for the Fifth Plenum, which to me sounds like some weird techno, like Luke Brisson film that I've been meaning to see that I missed, had Mila jo jo Jovanovic or whoever, uh, to discuss the country's long-term priorities, with Beijing expected to focus on boosting technological self-sufficiency and domestic demand. In other words, like if they lock all the doors and we got to feed ourselves and clothe ourselves and sell our, each other our own technology, how will it go? Also known in economics as autarky or we smell funny. No one wants to play with us on the, on the playground. You know, that kind of thing because it's, it's going well. So from an article by the Financial Times of London. Beijing has hinted it would broaden out its focus on economic growth to in include targets for environmental protection, innovation, and self-sufficient development, such as in food, energy, and computer chips. Beijing has hinted that nobody likes them, and they realize they're screwed, and they're probably going to have to feed themselves and make their own computer chips for stuff they're going to sell to themselves. Best of luck, guys. Okay. In recent months, Mr. Xi or Xi, someone who speaks Mandarin, please help me out there. Uh, Xi has, has reiterated the idea of developing a, quote, dual circulation economy in which China will develop domestic demand and self-sufficiency as the rest of the world remains stalled by coronavirus. Yeah, it's not you sending enough fentanyl to kill Texas. It's just the coronavirus, which happened to come from your country. Okay, guys, 
We're, it's just our problem, and you're, you're just going to do your own thing while we deal with it. Oh, okay. China has for decades valued technological self-sufficiency. Well, <laughs> it's kind of funny because they spend a whole lot on economic espionage, stealing our stuff, so that's pretty rich. But, quote, there's an important shift coming in the next five years, said Sam Sachs, cybersecurity policy fellow at the New America Foundation, a Washington-based think tank. U.S. sanctions on Huawei, the technology group, have shown uh, that Be Beijing, how easily a national champion can be brought down by a blockade on U.S. technology. The government is now looking to keep more of the advances of its homegrown tech sector inside China, especially R&D and expertise, expertise gleaned from foreign countries, added Ms. Sachs. <laughs> gleaned is that what they're calling it is that, that that the new term for economic espionage let's just get it out of the way with these these assholes like hey china we're not not the chinese people too broad you're not buying this you're as abused as anybody but the chinese communist party get bent you know what this means you screwed up we're sick of you you got to make other plans have fun explaining to your billion plus people why you've been living high on the hog and they're about to suffer good luck with your domestic situation guys hope you learn from this Ooh, in our fourth story in the profanity daily brief oh i love it it's so dorky we're back in my my favorite lane of competitive intelligence the application of nation-state intelligence techniques for economics and business, that's my thing. An unusual wave of bankruptcies may spell the end for toxic Wall Street finance. <sighs> Ooh, we're in private equity and bullshit loans and bonds. I'm just so excited. Sorry. So the deal here is that despite all the help in the world from Steve Mnuchin, uh, some companies kept afloat by shitty corporate bonds are finally going for real bankrupt. And the, investor the investors are taking a real haircut, meaning, you know, hey, well, we loaned you this much. Can you give us back at least this? We're not talking 5% anymore. <laughs> it's a real haircut. Bloomberg has a new piece out. Bond defaults deliver 99% losses in new era of U.S. bankruptcies. By the way, I want to just correct that. It's not a new era. It's just some people who are, are, are vampires and banksters have been getting away with crimes and economic bullshit while the rest of us go real bankrupt like the rest of us have real bankruptcies this is not a new era this is just a few scumbags who've been taking all the money are getting the era of the current set of bankruptcies which is when you're bankrupt it's because you're out of money and you can't handle your payments anymore so there's really not a new era it's just a new era for for certain people but it's bloomberg so i mean it makes sense i'm not trying to get too too on them so Okay, so if I'm going to explain this, I got to think of my friend Greg Oliar when we were on Narrative Live last Friday with Zev Shalev, which was really great to have the gang back together. Greg reminded me gently that whenever I discuss private equity and bonds, that the average person's eyes roll into the back of their head. <laughs> so mine too, uh, especially when I first got into this. So it's a good reminder. So bottom line is this. Um, a lot of huge, shitty, shady companies have been sucking our economies dry because every time they go out of business, instead of selling everything and starting over like you and I have to do, a flood of dirty money, lots of it from offshore, floods in. They refinance their millions in bonds. And that same huge, lumbering, often big box, shitty company sleazes its way back into the marketplace. You know, uh, like... Guitar Center just did for the third or fourth time in five years. By the way, Google Eric Garland and Guitar Center. You read all about my research on them that started in 2013 when I wrote a 450-word blog post, you know, on Thanksgiving weekend about there being junk bonds. And that company has lots of interesting connections. Suddenly overreacted, sent all their employees at me, and dared me to research them. And I did, kids. And uh, many interesting articles fell out of that, which led me into what this kind of finance really looks like. So Guitar Center just, just did this, this zombie-like uh, rollover for the third or fourth time. Um, and it's not working so well. Uh, you know, 
They're like a lot of businesses that should be dead and gone, making room for real businesses from real entrepreneurs. But the dirty finance keeps saving the day. Until now, it seems. I'm so excited. The Bloomberg article starts, three cents, two cents, even a mere 0.125 cents on the dollar. More and more. These are the kinds of scraps that bondholders are fighting over as companies go belling up. Yeah, Jack, it's called going bust. Like when all the other small businesses are done for, they go out of business and your loans, they're worth bupkis. They don't get help from Jared Kushner's friends. He made a bad bet. Now it sucks. Think of the poor, think of the poor bond traders. <laughs> no. Um, well, okay, this is newsworthy though, that we're down there, that they're like everybody else. And oh, I made a shitty bet. And now I'm not getting paid. Um, you know, it, it's newsworthy because these guys have been getting away with this for so long, but now that's apparently changing quickly. So Bloom, back to Bloomberg. Bankruptcy filings are surging due to the economic fallout of COVID-19 bullshit for the most part. And many lenders are coming to the realization that their claims are almost completely worthless. Instead of recouping, say, 40 cents for every dollar owed, has been, has been the norm for years. Yeah, for them. Unsecured creditors now face the unenviable prospect of walking away with just pennies, if that. And while few could have foreseen the pandemic's toll on the economy, the depth of investors' pain from corporate distress was all too predictable. Desperate to generate higher returns during a decade of rock-bottom interest rates. Yeah, yeah, so these companies get stuffed by these private equity guys like Mitt Romney's Bank Capital or whoever. Uh, you know, you, they can get money for 1%, but they jam debt into these companies that take over with 14% debt and pay themselves management fees, yeah. Um, yeah they're just, you know, uh, desperate for these higher returns during rock-bottom interest rates. Where do we find yield? I guess we'll just have to basically rip it off from good companies and turn them into crappy companies. Uh, money managers bargained away legal protections, accepted ever-widening loopholes, and turned a blind eye to questionable earnings projections. Turned a blind eye. You went to goddamn finance school. The numbers didn't make sense. You goddamn well know it. I was on the same investor calls you were. Or I got hipped later. And you damn well knew better. <laughs> now you're getting it. Okay. Corporations, for their part, took full advantage and gorged on astronomical amounts of debt that many now cannot repay or finance. Shady financiers did shady shit, lost money. More news at I don't give a fuck o'clock. Oh my God. Long time coming for this. Uh, debt issued by the owner of Men's Warehouse, which filed for court protection in August, traded this month for less than two cents on the dollar. When JCPenney went bankrupt, an auction held for holders of default protection, found the retailer's lowest price debt was worth just 0.125%, and then for Neiman Marcus Group, that figure was 3%. Well, hold on. We got Neiman, Neiman Marcus here. Okay. That one's a big deal, actually. Neiman Marcus's takeover was backed by Eris Management, run by a man in Los Angeles named Anthony Ressler, who was former right-hand man to junk bond king Michael Milliken, if you remember Drexel Burnham Lambert and uh, the junk bonds in the 80s, the guy who Trump pardoned out of nowhere earlier this year, I believe. Uh, yeah, that guy's uh, old lieutenants are still around. So you got Tony Ressler was one of the guys. And then there's Tony's brother-in-law, Leon Black of Apollo Management, buddy of Jared Kushner. Uh, the Neiman deal also involved the gigantic Ontario teacher's pension, which, man, that opens the door to a whole nother story on how pension managers trying to figure out how to pay for the aging of baby boomers turned to increasingly shady finance to make the numbers work out. So this is exactly the kind of deal policymakers and other financiers have been keeping afloat at all costs, so you won't figure out that all their other deals suck just as badly. And by the way, uh, you know, Eris Management owns Guitar Center after Bain Capital pieced out and lost $300 million. So in a small little world with this, it's so interesting. So the rest of the story in the Bloomberg and really all of it gets really jargony. So we'll, you know, leave it in broad strokes. The bankster assholes have been running this scheme everywhere and it's finally falling apart. 
At the heart of an untold number of these schemes, and in my work in competitive intelligence, I have analyzed a lot of them over the years. You've got a whole bunch of SEC, IRS, and other felonies, kids. And if the system gets a lot of scrutiny, a lot of guys who got rich off our suffering, they're headed to prison. And now it's time for Today in Criminal Doom, the segment where I read more or less randomly from the happiest website in the world, justice.gov slash USAO slash press releases. If you think Bill Barr has ruined everything and bad guys get away with everything, you've got to go to justice.gov, the happiest website in the world. So a few of the latest, starting with a huge one here, man, this could be its own story. Things are just moving too fast here right now. But out of the Sovereign District, the Southern District of New York, settlement of tax shelter lawsuit against AIG. Remember those dudes from the housing crisis blowing up and them getting their bonuses and all that crap? Uh, lawsuit against AIG for entering into sham transactions designed to generate bogus foreign tax credits. American International Group agrees to disallowance of more than $400 million in foreign tax credits and imposition of 10% tax penalty. Oh, that doesn't sound like the guillotine, but hold on. This goes back to the 90s, so check it. My justice girlfriend, Audrey Strauss, I love that woman. Why do they always put these the most wonderful justice Valkyries in at SDNY? It's so cool. Um, sorry, New York Attorney Generals, Tish James, I love you too. Um, and Barbara Underwood, you're out there. With all due respect to your husband, you know I miss you. You do. So Audrey Strauss, acting U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, announced today the settlement of a tax refund lawsuit brought by insurance and financial services company American International Group, AIG, involving seven cross-border financial transactions that the U.S. asserted were abusive tax shelters designed to generate bogus foreign tax credits that AIG improperly uh, attempted to use to reduce its tax liabilities in the United States. Huh. Sounds like there's some offshore accounts somewhere in there in that whole system. Well, when when did this happen? AIG filed this tax refund lawsuit in 2009. Dude, that was 11 years ago, right after the, the crash of 08. Are we not done investigating that? You see where I'm going with this? Okay. Seeking to recover disallowed foreign tax credits and other taxes related to the 1997 tax year. Oh, somebody's got some long memories around here, and I like it. Uh, the U.S. obtained overwhelming evidence, that's a key term, that these transactions lacked any meaningful economic substance, were devoid of any any legitimate business purpose. This sounds like straight up criminal fraud. This is not like a tax. Well, you guys were a little aggressive there. This is this didn't have anything to do with nothing, and you tried to get away with it. Woo! Damn, I'm, I'm gonna take a drink here. Hold on. Mm. Ice water. I had to. Woo. I got overwhelmed there. Any meaningful economic substance. Any, any legitimate business purpose, and instead were designed solely to manufacture hundreds of millions of dollars in tax benefits to which AIG was not entitled. And according to the terms of the settlement approved yesterday by U.S. Judge uh, Louis Stanton, uh, AIG agreed that all foreign tax credits that AIG claimed for the 1997 tax year and all later tax years for them same transactions totaling more than $400 million dollars would be disallowed in their entirety. AIG further agreed to pay a 10% tax penalty. Whoa. Audrey, Sa- Audrey Strauss, my justice girlfriend, said AIG created an elaborate series of sham transactions that were designed to do nothing, and in fact did nothing, other than generate hundreds of millions of dollars in ill-gotten tax benefits for AIG. Our system of taxation is built upon the premise that all citizens and corporations must pay the taxes they owe, no more and no less. People and companies who game that system to avoid paying their fair share of taxes undermine public trust in our tax laws. We will continue to be vigilant in holding accountable those who economically use economically empty transactions to avoid paying their taxes. Dude, that sounds like this is the civil settlement of like one set of transactions that go back to 97 that they kept pulling on. It says nothing about all the other types of transactions, and it says nothing about criminal charges for the guys who tried to pull them off. Whew, I'm getting the vapors. I love it. All right. 
So let's go down to the Eastern District of Virginia, one of my favorite districts, because that's where the espionage and other stuff is at, in the Beltway. Former DARPA program manager agrees to settle allegations of improper conversion of government technology. By the way, uh, so tort of conversion is if you take stuff that belongs to someone else and you make it yours. It's not theft if you have like if you have dealings with them. Um, like if I take your car, that's a crime. If we both work on, pro- on on the same project and I take all of it for my sole use, that'd be called the tort of conversion. Something I learned years ago. A former defense, a former defense advanced research projects agency, DARPA program manager and founder and CEO of Zero Wind LLC of Falls Church, has agreed to pay fifty thousand dollars and surrender three patents to the U.S. government to settle allegations related to his improper patenting of U.S. government property and technology. In July, the U.S. filed a lawsuit against Dr. Deepak Varshinya, uh, Varshneya, sorry, of Falls Church and Zero Win, alleging conversion of government technology. Uh, it goes on, let's just put it this way. Do not screw around with uh, defense advanced research projects agency stuff. Don't mess with DARPA. This had to do with like a crosswind and range measuring rifle scope. Do not be converting stuff that would make the rifle of the future or anything our defense department does. Don't steal their stuff. Don't take their hard drives. Don't give them Julian Assange and don't think you're going to make money off them. So I think there's more stealing. There's a lot of people stealing from the United States, especially foreign countries. There's a lot of economic espionage out there and they're finding more profitable to steal our stuff than to make their own stuff. So I expect more more around this as we get into espionage issues. So, uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, Southern District of California, El Cajon Pill Mill doctor sentenced to 18 months in prison for causing the illegal distribution of opioids. I like these cases because we, you know, we need to shut down the opioid crisis everywhere we can. And also, these are people who have serious responsibility um, and we trust them and they abuse that trust. And they might be rich people. So, that's kind of some of my favorite like justice stories right there. Uh, Egisto Salerno, MD, a San Diego resident, was sentenced to 18 months in custody by U.S. District Judge Cynthia Ann Bashant for causing the illegal distribution of an opioid pain medication commonly known as Vicodin. Uh, Salerno, whose medical practice is located, uh, admitted he signed prescriptions for 78,544 pills. Man, that, that's a lot of root canals there, yo, that lacked a legitimate medical purpose and were outside the usual course of professional medical practice. The defendant committed this federal crime in the midst of an opioid crisis in this country. He admittedly abused his position of trust. Admittedly, so he, he pleaded out intelligently. Corrupt doctors who blatantly ignore their medical oath in the best interest of their patients to illegally distribute opioids in the midst of a nationwide opioid crisis will face severe consequences, said the U.S. Attorney Robert Brewer. Good. Uh... U.S. Attorney's Office, New Jersey, Colorado man charged with smuggling cocaine into the United States through Newark Airport. Two kilos of coke in through the airport, uh, one count importation, controlled substances, scheduled to appear today by video conference before the magistrate judge. I just like this because, like, look, not all bad things come in through the border of Texas and Mexico. A whole lot of the border is actually an airport that you can fly into from outside of the, the country. And they smuggle the cocaine through that border so the border is as much at chicago o'hare airport and st louis airport and houston as it is you know the place in arizona in fact probably that that place in arizona where it's dry and everybody's looking at that part of the border that's probably the hardest place to get you know your fentanyl in through so i thought that was an interesting case here my my favorite in the terms of i'm glad to see him go shortest cases U.S. Attorney's Office, Minnesota, Elk River Man sentenced to 17 years in prison for child pornography. Some asshole, 41 years of age, sentenced to 204 months in prison for receipt and possession of child pornography. Seven counts of one, two of the other. I, I am disgusted by having to read that it's happened, but the, the indictments and the plea deals are just so pleasingly short. Uh... And especially now that you have computers, because when you read those indictments, it's like this guy owned this device with this ID number. He had this file, name of the file, this other file, boom, he sent it to these people, boom, five counts of federal felonies, go to prison. They're, I mean, they literally are like one page. 
and hooking all of this awful child abuse related stuff up to computers is allowing us to, to clean this thing up the best we've been able to in generations. It's, you know, it's a horrible thing, but it's good news. And U.S. Attorney's Office, Middle District of Florida. Dade City man charged with COVID relief fraud. U.S. Attorney Maria Chapa Lopez announces the unsealing of a criminal complaint charging Keith William Nicoletta with bank fraud and illegal monetary transactions. Nicoletta was arrested earlier this week. If convicted, he faces a maximum penalty of 40 years in federal prison. According to the complaint, in or about May 2020, Nicoletta fraudulently secured one, more than $1.9 million in emergency funds associated with a Paycheck Protection Program loan. Wow, how many of those are shady? Because we're like paying off mega churches and private schools and some foreign agent looking stuff. That's pretty weird. Turns out the U.S. attorney's offices are, are keeping track of that. <laughs> so the Coronavirus Aid Relief uh, and Economic Security Act, CARES, is a federal act uh, law enacted March 2020 designed to provide emergency financial, blah, blah, blah. One source of relief provided by the CARES Act is the authorization of up to $349 billion in potentially forgivable loans. The loans are forgivable. The felonies may not be. To small businesses for job retention and certain other expenses. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Nicol uh, Nicoletta's PPP loan application falsely claimed that Nicoletta had a local scrap metal business with 69 employees who purportedly monthly payroll expenses they had was uh, over $760,000 or more than $9 million annu annually. In truth, Nicoletta had reported no wages to the state of Florida for any employees for 2019 or 2020. So there's felony go to prison for lying to us and stealing money that could have gone to help people and also felony go to prison because you're just that stupid and you need to be gone so today in criminal doom check out justice.gov slash usao slash press releases to see how the rule of law is not over it's time for question time from the Game Theory Today online community on Twitter, twitter.com slash Game Theory Today, our private Twitter channel where we can talk amongst ourselves. And one of the many benefits is question time, where you can ask your questions about what's going on in geopolitics, uh, economics, treason, intelligence, whatever. So shout out to the good folks at, in the Game Theory Today lounge on Twitter. Uh, Elizabeth Farnham asks, where do you suppose Wilbur Ross is hiding? I believe that he is returned to his role as the Crypt Keeper on HBO. I have no further intelligence, so I'm going to assume that. Our friend Erica Severns, is there tension between U.S. and U.K. intelligence? Man, this is a really interesting question. Um, so my answer is there are tensions between every intelligence service and agency in every country, inside and out. Uh, there's different cultures, allegiances, assumptions, rules. So even when we're all on the same team in the same country, we're not quite all on the same team. You know humans, we tend to move off into tribes as quick as we can. That said, nobody is as tight uh, as the U.S.-U.K. intelligence relationship, part of Five Eyes, which is the Anglo Intel Alliance. So the United States, the U.K., Canada, Australia, New Zealand help each other out, particularly sharing signals intelligence. And of those, the tightest crew is the U.S. and the U.K. So tight that uh, General Mike Hayden actually came out, who is a, a former director of both the CIA and the NSA. And he explained that on September 11th, 2001, Hayden was on the phone with the head of GCHQ, that's Britain's Signals Intelligence uh, Authority, talking about transferring command of 5i operations to them in case a plane hit Fort Meade on that day so the u.s and the uk are super tight and that's one of the things vladimir putin has tried to target and so has china in its way apparently there's more on that honey badger la says is there enough unclassified evidence against traitors gop scum to indict and prosecute to what extent can we sh or should we rely on collection from Five Eye as to protect our sources and methods? Or should the states just nail all these assholes on tax fraud like most mobsters? Uh, a very interesting and passionate question. Um, and therein lies the difference between intelligence and law enforcement and prosecution. Um, intelligence is gathered uh, through 
means that are not tied to that are tied to national defense and not national law enforcement and we tend to pick up a whole lot especially in other countries here in the united states despite what all that snowden wikileaks bullshit was telling you um and that cannot be used in court that's why there's a whole lot the intelligence community has known about trump and company and russian agents and all that that cannot be moved over to court it can be used if you have FISA warrants and stuff like that. It can tip off prosecutors to look for other evidence collected through law enforcement warrants from different types of courts. You can find statutes that these guys have broken and prosecute them on that, but you cannot use intelligence gathered, um, which is of a totally different methodology. It's for a totally different customer. You can't use that in court. Um, so that doesn't mean it can't be used in getting evidence. It can't. It's not to say it can't be used to tell you where you ought to look or who you ought to talk to to see if that person gives up, um, you know, information about the guy you know is that guy, and you can find them on on uh, crimes. For example, you know, we found that uh, Mike Flynn, when they did the uh, the thing where they tried to figure out, you know, who, who's on, who's been collecting on, who, who's been unmasked on a FISA thingy, and they were looking for, there's somebody passed a, uh, you know, a FISA warrant on that totally not a traitor, Mike Flynn, and it turned out that he didn't get picked up on those calls with the Russian ambassador because of his FISA, he got picked up because of a criminal warrant. So he was already under criminal investigation. I'm sorry, that's the kind of thing that, that I find funny because it's like, he was so dirty, we were well beyond the intelligence portion with him. We're just like, this dude just, just he's not just a, a treason factory, he's a felony factory too. So, um, you know, there are other cases that are, are like that. Generally, intel and counter intel on our own soil doesn't lead to prosecution. You know, we try and neutralize the threat. That's the main thing. Understand the threat, neutralize it, not put them in jail. Though we may be entering a new phase here. As far as just the states nailing all these assholes on tax fraud, like most mobsters, yeah, they took Capone on taxes. So <laughs> if you've got tax crimes and somebody's a traitor in addition to being a mobster, then nail them on taxes. It's ones and zeros. It's the easiest and doesn't require intelligence at all. <laughs> Brett Petticord, here's an interesting uh, question, and I think it's related to the fact, Clarice, that on the Game Theory Today channel, you will get occasional guidance from Dr. Hannibal Lecter himself, who comes in as a cameo to give his unvarnished opinion of things. Brett Petticord, member of the lounge, says, should I watch Silence of the Lambs? Yes! I mean, do not take a date to it, maybe, if it's first time. I did that at 17. Don't do it. It was it was um, nominated for awards. I didn't go to the movies that much. I didn't know. Do not take dates to Silence the Lambs in 1991, though. You know, unless unless that works for you. Um, but otherwise, uh, it, it's a fascinating movie. It's it's still it's still great. And I, you know, Julianne Moore as uh, Clarice, um, replacing Jodie Foster. I and Hannibal. I like that movie too. They're both great movies. Watch them. JP7916, how much garlic do I need to buy to repel the massive level of stupidity we are dealing with? Well, I'm half Italian, and garlic attracts me, so I don't know how to repel stupidity with it. Uh, in general, as we've seen these last few years, nothing in this world is stupid-proof. Pilgrim's TL says, will the American people be told, parentheses, the normies, that we have been at war and we were attacked by Russia and other hostile powers from without and within. We must be informed to avoid a repeat. Well, check out how I started this episode. I'm telling you, we've been at war. All hundred years. How long will that take to break through to the general consciousness? Probably a while. It'll go in waves. There's, you know, people who understand these things. And then that radiates out. And hopefully that changes education and our, our common uh, understanding of the world. Don't forget, though, those kinds of cognitive changes are pretty painful. So uh, we want to avoid a repeat, but none of these things happen slowly and almost nothing happens painlessly. Cindy Page 16 asks, today is day 71 of protests in Belarus. Tomorrow starts general strikes. 
Lukashenko says he won't step down, says they will have to kill him to remove him. Thoughts? How do you see this playing out? One, I stand with the incredibly brave Belarusian people. They're a country we didn't think much about, and their regime has really isolated them from the world. Lukashenko, whose intelligence agency is called the KGB still, uh, is a straight-up puppet of Russia, has been for, for his entire tenure there. He was considered Europe's last dictator. He's certainly the last open, I'm a dictator, dude. Um, what I find, well, first of all, I support the people, and I'm following that story, um, and I suggest that you do too. Uh, they're very, very courageous for what they're being subjected to, and they deserve the world support. Um, strategically, what I find important is that Vlad can't even control the countries on his own border anymore. So it's a real sign of Russian weakness. Because, like, forget meddling in our elections, which they're trying to do for survival's sake, because this ain't going to go well for them after Joe Biden gets in, Kamala, get, Kamala gets in. It ain't going to go well for Putin. He damn well knows it. That's why he's like, Joe uh, Hunter Biden? Oh, that was overblown. He's fine, kid. Oh, you saying that now? Yeah, your intel ops not working so well? Right. Well, so he doesn't have the juice on our soil he used to, and he don't over there either. He can't even, with a guy like Lukashenko, those, those people won't take it. And this is America, man. We, we know about that stuff. We see this around the world. That's why we believe the stuff we believe, even though it seems mythological or even incorrect sometimes. That at the end of the day, people want self-determination. They want freedom. They don't want to be beaten up every day. They want their kids to have a better life than they have. And that if you give them a beacon, if you prove it's possible, they'll do it in their country too. That's why it's going to be good to have America back. You know? So that's my, 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 my hope for Belarus and my forecast too. That will both stand up. And uh, David Mark Bradley rounds out question time with, is Al Franken right that Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, who was just um, uh, shoved in to the Supreme Court after her whole three years in private practice as an attorney um, and working for Antonin Scalia or whatever, uh, is Al Franken right that she lied and can be impeached? If she lied, if any of them lied, and I mean federal judges, Anyone that went through the Senate, like their confirmation process, all, you know, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, any of them, if it's discovered they lied on their application, because they have a huge written application, if they knowingly lied, they can be taken off the Supreme Court. So when we elect Joe Biden and we have the rule of law again, you might see it applied in lots of ways. That's question time for this episode. Hey, if you want to be part of question time, uh, go to primosocial.com slash game theory today to sign up. It's 10 bucks a month. Uh, be part of the Game Theory Today Lounge on Twitter with more to come there. We are expanding our horizons there. Uh, that's twitter.com slash game theory today. Sign up for the lounge and ask the questions you've got. And to round out the show, it's time for Pam Fam, positive active measures. Uh, remember, if Russian active measures are demoralizing the population to take over a country, Pam Fam, positive active measures is getting that country back. And uh, today's Pam Fam is dedicated to you. Uh, anybody listening to this? Because if you're listening to this, you're probably. Um, you know, uh, you're either a democracy-minded uh, justice junkie, you know, or a very skilled and thorough uh, agent of a foreign intelligence service, in which case, salute. I know you're at work today. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in and listening all the way through. Uh, you probably want what we're selling anyhow, because uh, this is what is uh, so positive for me lately. Yeah, it's really dark, but when you see that we're headed for record numbers of people voting, um, Ben Franklin once said, hey, uh, it's a republic if you can keep it. And that's always on my mind. Did we, have we earned this for Ben? Bro, kept it. I think we have. And I think people are standing up. They're, they're standing in the rain in Florida. The, the, the kids are out, the 18 to 29-year-olds. They're the hardest to get to vote, man. And they're voting because this is their country too. 
And we're all being woken up in ways that uh, we never expected. And uh, that's just so great. It's, it's, it's great to watch. And, and uh, you know we're not lost. You know even when we get hit by the most sophisticated propaganda ever, our brains can still bounce back. Um, I think it's apocryphal, but there's, you know, that the quote that's attributed to Churchill incorrectly, I think, um, that Americans always do the right thing after all the other options have been exhausted. I, I'm not sure he said it, but I am sure it's true. I mean, and we're that kind of a country that uh, we started with a whole lot of bad ideas in place on the soil here. And somehow, usually after a long process of being stupid and greedy and arrogant, something about the place and the culture makes us turn towards that which is better and that makes more people want to come here and then they add to it with their dreams i'm gonna get misty but seriously you know it's good and uh that is the pam fam the positive active measures family apparently they're everywhere so guys uh vote early vote once tell me all about it catch me online uh on twitter at twitter.com slash Eric Garland, E-R-I-C-G-A-R-L-A-N-D. Join us over at Game Theory today. And uh, stay frosty, peeps. See you soon.